Welcome to the Basin Church Podcast. And as a church, our mission is to bring hope and wholeness through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are and as you listen today, we hope that you find hope in Jesus and even move one step closer to being made whole. Just think of the last time you've heard this. The last time you heard, I didn't do it. Right? Or it wasn't me. Right? Yeah. Okay. So you have all those, it wasn't my fault or it wasn't me. Um, so just think about it when you're an adult or as a child, think about it in, in those terms where, oh yeah, it wasn't me. And I mean, you, you see it and you sense it when you have a, a child, right? And it's when you catch your child and you see his artistic abilities all over the wall. And he's got the crayon, and you go, who did this? And they're like, well, it wasn't me, right? It wasn't me. I didn't do it. And so, you know, you have the classic. I, I love this, the classic. The teacher goes, hey, stop talking. And everyone in the room, what, sees the kid talking, and he says, what? I wasn't talking. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. And my my favorite is, too, when, when I was growing up as well, it would be like, hey, why is there this? Why is it a mess over here? Well, it wasn't me. Or, hey, why is there a hole in the wall? Oh, it wasn't me. Hey, why is this? There's a ding in my car. Well, well, it wasn't me, right? And all of a sudden, here's what my dad used to say, and he used to say, so you're telling me it magically just appeared there. And I don't know about that, but that one sense of line, it magically appeared there, Somehow the truth came out. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, uh, yeah, and then you'd have to just tell the truth. But um, the, the thing about all of this, it doesn't matter what age, it doesn't matter if you're a kid, parent, ad- adult, um, no children, whatever, there is a sense of responsibility. And there's a sense of accountability that we all have to have. And, and when you're talking child to the artistic ability to an adult doing your job or whatever, there is accountability and there's responsibility. And all of us are responsible for our lives and we know that but do we take accountability for it and so you have this uh, idea when you have a responsibility and accountability so i am responsible for the choices right i'm responsible for my career path i'm responsible for my health i'm responsible for you know raising my kids i'm responsible so education i'm responsible for all of that stuff and so we go throughout life and understanding that responsibility and accountability go hand in hand. And all of a sudden, then we, as your, as your parents, here's what you begin to do, you do. And I think it's just natural in all life that when someone can handle responsibility, what we tend to do is we tend to give them more responsibility. Right? So if your child and your child's young, what we do is can they handle it? Right? So what bedtime can they handle? And when they get older, can we extend it? Right? Can we, can we do certain stuff? When they become teenagers, right? We decide when they get a cell phone. We decide how much screen time they get. We decide, you know, when is a good time to date. We decide their curfew. We decide all these things. And so we have this whole sense of responsibility, but we give out responsibility when we feel that they have showed us in some form or manner, that they are responsible. They can handle what we're giving them, right? And so what we do is we start off kind of hard and kind of holding things tight to us. And then as your kids and maybe your parents did the same thing, as the more you get older, they start to loosen up. 
right? And, and so what we tend to do is we loosen up and it's called freedom. But here's what happens. I give you freedom, but the moment you abuse my freedom that I've given you, the moment that you um, uh, do something and you break the trust, what do we do? And what do your parents do? They take it away, right? They take away that freedom. They take away, take away that because you and I can't handle responsibility as kids. And your children might not even be able to handle that responsibility as kids. So that's what we tend to do. But think about it in terms of this too. As adults, when we grow up, when you grow up and I grow up and, and they say to you, hey, would you like this job promotion? Right? And you're hoping that it's worth money, right? More money. You're hoping that it's maybe gives you more responsibility. It's going to give you more time and, and more money. But at the same time, that's what they're saying. They're saying, look, we've seen something in you and we know you're able to be responsible enough. And now we, we are going to give you this responsibility over someone or a group of people or you manage people or whatever it is. But even as adults, we drop the ball, don't we? Even as adults, we cannot be responsible. Even as adults, we can shirk our responsibilities, can't we? We can put them off. And so the question is, is what do we do with the responsibility that we have been given? Because we talked about this last week. We started this, this series last week, and it's called Show Up. Now we're going to show up in everyday circumstances. We're going to show up and have everyday faithfulness. And when we show up, Right? We are called to be faithful. And you show up because God has given us gifts. He's given us talents. He's given us certain things. And that when we use those, we begin to show up in different places and be faithful to those around us. But here's what we have to understand. If you are a believer, if you're a Christ believer, if you follow Jesus, here's what you have to understand is we are trying to be more and more like Jesus. I mean, that is the goal. That is the goal of the Holy Spirit, to make us more and more like Jesus. So if we're modeling our lives after Jesus, then we need to know what Jesus is like. And then last week we said this, that Jesus is faithful and He's trustworthy. Not just sometimes, but always. So when you're not faithful, and I'm not faithful, God still remains faithful. When you break trust with someone, and you really just are not trustworthy in a circumstance, guess what? God's still trustworthy. He doesn't change. So we talked about that last week, and, and that was in Timothy. And, and now we're going to switch over to 1 Timothy. We talked about 2 Timothy and how Timothy is he's a pastor. And he's a pastor of congregation in Ephesus, which is where you get the book of Ephesians. And uh, he, he's uh, writing, and Paul would talk to him, and he would begin to instruct Timothy because I'm telling you, it was tough and hard for Timothy. It was difficult. And he said, Timothy, here's some certain problems you got to handle. Here's some, the way you have to handle these problems. And then, Timothy, there's people in your church that you're going to have to deal with. And here's how I want you to deal with them. And here's how I'm going to instruct you to deal with them. And not only, Timothy, am I going to tell these instructions, but I want you to read it in front of your congregation so they understand what is taking place and how they respond to other people. And so Timothy has all this responsibility and, again, Paul would say, this is how I want you to handle it. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, and, and we're going to look at this in chapter 5, and starting in verse 1, and again, he's going to talk to him and say, hey, you need to handle these people in a different way. It says, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women 
as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So he begins to, first off, he says these, these old men. Now, he's not saying that these men are overseers or they're elders. Okay, he's talking about just the older men in, in the church. He says, here's how I want you to respond to them, Timothy, is I want you to not give them these harsh rebukes. So I want you to treat them like you would treat your dad. You're not going to rebuke your dad. Hey, dad, I rebuke you. You're not going to do that, right? So he says, I want you to urge them or give them gentle exhortations. I want you to gently urge them in the direction they want to go or need to go. So he's saying with these older men, you treat them like you would treat your dad. And then he says, treat younger men as brothers. Now, you treat your dad and you treat your siblings completely different. So he's saying, Timothy, with the responsibility that you have been given, here's what I want you to do. You, those older men, gentle urges. But these young men who are around with you, guess what? You can be direct with them. Just like you would your brother. You're direct to them. You tell them. You guide them and lead them. But you don't have to be nice. And you, If you rebuke them, you rebuke them. You tell them. You're very direct with them. And tell them this is the way it is. So Paul would begin to, to say, this is how you treat older. This is how you treat younger men. Then he would say, this is the way you treat... Um, he says you treat older women. He says you treat them like older mothers. And the reason why you treat them like older mothers is you hold them in the highest esteem. You honor them. So he says these older ladies you respect and you honor. And then he switches to what? Younger women. And he says younger women treat them as your sister. But the reason why he says this, this key here, it says with absolute purity. So he says I want you to treat them with respect but I want you to treat them with absolute purity. And purity here is not at all surprising. And what he's saying when it comes to purity here in the Scripture, he's using it not to, to um, surprise anybody, but it's about the intentions, okay? It's the intentions of conforming to the standards of, se uh, of sexual propriety, propriety. Excuse me. So in the terms of an inappropriate relationship, he's setting the boundaries, so he is saying, I want you to treat these women differently because, Timothy, I want no one to come up against you and criticize you for something you did. I want you to live above reproach. And this is how you do it. You treat the women with absolute purity. So no one can come against you and blame you for something you didn't do or did do. So he again describes this. And then now he goes, talks about the safeguard for Timothy. And then the verse 3, here's what he says. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Now, throughout the Old Testament, okay, throughout the Old Testament, this is interesting, widows, strangers, or foreigners in Jewish, um, with the Jews, they would call them aliens as well, so people that were, now they captured them, they lived among them, or widows were all considered different and needed to be treated differently and he says they need to be treated with god's mercy so anybody who is a foreigner or an alien from another country anyone who's a widow needs to be treated with respect and is an object of god's mercy now the, the interesting thing here is is they were supposed to be taken under the wing of the congregation of the church so he says i want you to take these these widows timothy and i want you to take them underneath the congregation of the church. Now that that evolved because really that started in the first century church in in Acts, 
Well, now, 30 years later with Timothy, the widows are becoming a financial burden to the church. They can't support them. So there's this problem here. I want you to treat these women and these men and, and these widows in a different way because what's happening now is they have abused what is going on in your church here, Timothy. So he says, since it originally, this is how we did it, we wanted them to be under the wing of the church, and now 30 years later, they're becoming a burden to you. So we've got to fix this, Timothy. And so he begins to, to say this, and now he identifies who's truly a widow and who's not a widow, who's truly in need and who's not truly in need. And here's what he says in verse 4. He says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. This is the kicker. For this is pleasing to God. You're like, what in the world is he talking about here? Well, he is saying this. Timothy, you are instructed. You are instructed to give proper recognition for those who are in need. So he says, those who do not have grandchildren and children and their husband is gone, you need to care for them. But on the contrary, he says, those who have family, their husband's dead and they're in your church. He says, Timothy, if they have grandchildren, if they have family, if they have children, it's their responsibility to take care of their mom. And he says what? This is pleasing to God. Now, this is the way God has set it up. See, and the way God has set it up is the first responsibility for a family is to care for the other family members. It's pretty interesting. So that's God's way of doing things. So listen, so it's not the state's job to take care of your family according to God. It's not the church's job to do it according to God. It's how we set it up. And so he says, family, your responsibility for taking care of your own family. It's really unique here. And see, he says, if they put their family first, he says, it would show that they're putting their religion or faith into practice, right? If you do this, you will put your faith or religion into practice. See, so when they would care for them, they would show others that they are going to put their faith into practice. So I'm going to care for So this is pleasing to God, and this is how he set it up, that I'm going to do this this way. And as he does this, they would begin to take care of their family. But here's the interesting thing. They would pay off their debt to their family. So if you owed your mom, your dad, your brother, or whoever you were taking care of, you would pay debt off as well. So you would pay your debt off to your family while you're taking care of the family. Again, it's how God set it up. And he says it's pleasing to him. And then it's a way that, that he intended it. So if you had um, close relatives as a widow, it would be their responsibility to take care of you. And that's what he's saying. That's, it's their first responsibility. And so what is happening is, is in the church of Ephesus, at the time of Timothy, what is happening is they've gotten away from what God has established to now the church is taking care of everybody. And Paul's like, time out, time out. That's not how God set it up. He set it up that the family, if they have relatives and family members living, that's their first responsibility is to take care of the family. It's not the church's job. So he says, Timothy, we got a problem here. And that's why he writes this and he says, I want you instruct, I'm instructing you, Timothy, and then I want you to instruct your church of what's going on. So then he, he comes to verse five and then he talks about widows 
who are really in need. He says, the widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. See, the widow here is one who is is in need, right? It says what? It's left all alone and her hope is in God. So the only thing for her is, is to what? Place her hope, her trust in God. And it says that she continues night and day to pray that she is devoted to him saying, if I don't have, I don't have anybody to help me, God. So I rely on you. I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to continue day and night to do this. And this was characteristics of widow who were in need. They would basically begin to cry out to God and say, God, I need your help because they had nobody else. And as he um, says this, he says, um, if he says, look back, and if you look back in, in the scripture, he says there's examples. There's examples in the Old Testament and there's examples in the New Testament. If you look back at Hannah, Hannah was a, 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 a woman who could not give birth and, and she's crying out and crying out and crying out to the Lord. And so much so when she's in the temple, the guy looks at him and looks at her and says, are you drunk? And she says, no, I'm just pouring out my heart to the Lord. Then if you go to Acts, you see this old old um, widow who was in the temple. Day and night she prayed. And it was her name was Anna, and she waited to see the, the Savior. And then she was devoted. So what Paul is saying is any any widow here who does not have family members but is crying out to the Lord and constantly doing that and is marked of their characteristics, he says those women are the ones who are in need, and those are the women who we need to help. Because they were brought up in the standard of society, they were devoted, and they were seen like that. So he says, you need to help those women. But these other ones who are doing something completely different, you need to address it, Timothy. All right, so he, now he goes to verse 6. So these women who are, who are worthy of the church's support, who are praying devoted to God, but then he contrasts it again, and he says this. He says, but the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even when she lives. Now, not all women who became widows themselves were going to devote their lives to the Lord. They weren't praying every day and night. And these widows, what he's talking about is that he was saying that some of these widows use their current situation for pleasure. So they're not devoted to God. They're, they're using their situation to bring about pleasure in their life. And he's saying that they're dead, yet they're alive. So he's describing this, and he's saying if they are devoted to their unprovoked pleasure and not devoted to God, he says, look out, Timothy, there's a problem. She is dead even while she is alive. And a, a woman really need to understood this. And it, the thing is, is that Paul would make this spiritual emphasis to these ladies and to this church, but they could not experience it until they hit rock bottom. Then they know what he, he was talking about. So you got to be devoted to the Lord and not to your own flesh and your own desires is what he begins to say. And then he says this. He says, and then give these people, verse 7, give these people instructions so that no one may be open to blame. So again, here's Paul. Again, right? I'm giving you instructions. So Timothy, look, I've laid it out for you. You treat older moms, younger moms, all this stuff, younger women, excuse me. And then I want you to treat the widows like this. Now, here's what I want you to do. Take what I've given you, the responsibility I've given you, give it to the people so that no one may be, may be blamed. So that no one may be 
they all may be above reproach. So he says, again, there's an order here. And I don't want you to miss the order. And I don't want you to put a woman who's on the list that the church supports if they are doing opposite and, and contrary contrary to what I've asked them to do. If they are not devoted to me, if they are living on, on pleasure, if they are doing things in their situation to get what they want, Timothy, they, they, they will be blamed. So make sure those are not on the church list of supporting them. And then he would say, he would say this in verse eight. He says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Yikes. That's some harsh words there. But what he's saying is, is again, your first responsibility is to show godliness in the home. And godliness, according to him, is putting your religion what? Into practice. That you're putting your religion, you're putting your 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 stuff, you believe Jesus, and what Jesus does, you're putting it in practice at home. And the interesting thing here is that in Jewish uh, society and Greco-Roman society, the number one thing for you to do was to take care of your family. Number one thing. And he says if you don't take care of, take care of your family, right? If you, if you support, your obligation is to your family. If you fail to do that, then you are looked down at low um, on your, the morality scale in society. You are looked down upon. You are lower than low if you do not take care of your family. And that's how they're seen in the Jewish and the Greco-Roman society. So if you fail and shirk your responsibility to take care of your family, guess what? You are way down on the list. And he says what? You're worse than what? An unbeliever. He says even unbelievers get it. They have the obligation. They know. They even take care of your family. So he's saying, what are you doing? If you're a believer and God has called you to take care of your family or take care of people and show up every day to your family, and if you're not doing that, then guess what? You are worse than someone who actually does it, which is an unbeliever. And not only society would put you down, but God's like, what are you doing? And so to try to get this, Paul, again, he'd say, again, that these are the instructions, Timothy. Here's the instructions. Here's what you need to do. And now I want you to relate it to the people. And all of this, right? In all of this, it's how we treat people. It's, it's what Timothy needs to do and how people respond in the church. But really, if you get it down to it, it's in verse 8. Verse 8 is what? That we have a responsibility to what? To be intentional and care for our family. It's what it is. That we have a response to show up every day. See, we have a, a responsibility to care for those who are in our family. That's what Paul's trying to get. He's saying, look, it's fine with everything else, and sometimes we get lost to this and we don't show up and we're not faithful even to our family. He's saying, I want you to understand this, that you have to be intentional and care for those who are around you, your closest family members. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, really? Some of you are probably thinking, okay, that's no problem. I can do that. It's easy, right? I got no beef with my family. You know, might be my wife's. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, I got no family, but I, but some of us are on the spectrum of this, and we do have beef with our family. Some of us have been hurt, and the pain has just kind of festered for so long that we don't even talk to somebody in our family. Or we have not forgiven that person for what they have done to us. And so 
when you talk about caring for our family and loving our family the way Paul is saying and talking to the church in Ephesus, we're like, oh, it's time out. You don't know my family. You don't know my family. And so there are things that may have happened to you as a child or as an adult that has hurt you so deep, or there's some things that may have happened to you that you don't want to mention because they're so horrendous and nobody should have to go through it. And so when Paul's saying to show up and care for your family and love your family, you're like, no, I'm not doing that. And here's what I would say to you if you're in that spot where there's so much pain and there's so much hurt and there's so much things. You are better off. Let me tell you this. You are better off forgiving those individuals. Can you go back in the past and rewind it and, and, and redo it? No. But you can do this. You can move forward in a spot in your life where you say, I am going to forgive my family. I'm going to forgive my dad for this. I'm going to forgive my mom for this. I'm going to forgive my brother for this. And it doesn't matter what it is, but here's what... I, now, the thing about this is some people think, well, if I forgive, then everything's just going to be a-okay. I'm telling you, it's it might not be. They still might not talk to you. And here's the other thing about forgiveness. We think that we got to forgive and forget. You're not going to forget it. Do you think God forgets my sin? No, he just chooses not to remember it. Right? Do you think that, that when it comes to David and Bathsheba, God's like, oh, I didn't know they had an affair. No. He chooses not to forget it and he doesn't hold it against you. And, and here's what I want you to understand. When you begin to forgive someone for what they have done and your family members, you release bitterness from grabbing on and taking root in your life. Because I'm telling you this. None of us are going to walk around in chains, right? You don't want to go, hey, I'm going to go to work and I'm going to have chains around my, my legs and my arms and I'm just going to go and try to work. It's not going to happen. Why? Because we've got to have mobility to move and, and be free and do this. Here's the thing though. Some of us inside of us, it's called the chains of, of, it's called the chains of bitterness. So we walk through life and we're bitter. And you can't move forward in life because you're, you're grasped to the bitterness because you can't forgive your family member. I'm telling you, it is key. If you need to care and love for your family members, you've got to forgive them. Now, will it change? No. Maybe. Yes. I don't know. Because you can't control their attitude. You can't control what they've done. You can't control You can say, I choose to forgive you, and on your end, you are good in bitterness. I don't know how they're going to respond. But I do know that God is a God of redemption. I do know that. But here's the other thing you have to understand, too, is... is Here's what Paul says in Corinthians. He says, make every effort to live at peace with people. And so what Paul is saying is, is if you're going to care for your family and love on your family, and they've hurt you, then you have to make every effort to live at peace with them. That means to forgive them. I can't control what they're going to do, but on my end, I have made every effort to have peace. And let me tell you this. It is okay to set up boundaries with family members who have hurt you or neglected you in some way, shape, or form. It's okay to set up boundaries. You still need to love them. You still need to forgive them. Because I'm telling you this, Jesus, when he walked the earth, there were some times where his the way he did things wasn't just on, on people's happiness. There are some times where Jesus had to do things, even with his earthly family, because he's more concerned about the kingdom of God. And you can look it up, it's in Matthew. And there are some choices he made. Now, what, what during this whole process, if you set up boundaries and you do this stuff, here's what I want you to understand. God is a God of redemption. 
And God is a God who works on people's hearts. You can't do it. So if I'm talking about loving your family and caring your family, here's what you do from the time being. You choose to forgive and you say, okay, Lord, you work on their hearts. Holy Spirit, you're the one that moves on people's hearts and people's minds. And God, I choose to forgive them. Now you've forgiven them. Now would you move on their hearts? And while you're in that position, I want you to begin to press into the Lord and press into what he has for you and see what happens. Because he's the only one that can bring about transformation through the Holy Spirit. You and I can't. So when you give that to him, you begin to do that. Second thing is I think this. I think our home needs to be a place of, of responsibility and it, it needs to be a place where, where really we do things right. And if you look at the scripture and you look at the epistles, here's what you begin to understand and see. There are roles for husbands. There's roles for children. There's roles for women. There's all, all these things. And scripture clearly defines what you and I are supposed to do and our responsibility within our homes. Clearly. But a lot of times what we do is we go to the wrong things and the wrong places for information because we are trying to be a certain like family or, or, or do certain things. And we're like, well, I've read this book, so I'm going to do this. And if I do this, then I can be like this person and, and, and it, it'll totally work out. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying don't neglect the, the scripture. The scripture is where you find instruction. The scripture is where the Lord tells you and teaches you what your role is and how you respond in your home life and in your family life. And so what happens is, is God, God listen, I'm telling you, is when you begin to be in the instruction and begin in the word, what's going to happen is God's going to grow your family. He's going to grow it to how he wants to, you to grow it. But here's what you have to understand. Faithfulness to others stems from connection with the faithful God. Faithfulness to others stems from your connectedness to a faithful God. Now, I know you're probably like, what, how does that have to do with the family and all this? When you're connected to God, everything flows out when you're connected to Him. When you're connected to the, the Lord, guess what? You have grace like the Lord. When you're connected to Him, you have mercy like Him. When you're connected to Him, you speak like Him. You live, you think like Him. You do things to model your life after Jesus. But if I'm not connected to God, I tell you what, guess what? I go back to living in my flesh. And I'll yell at my kids. And I'll be mad and I'll be short-tempered. Or I do something, I say things I shouldn't have said. And then they go, you know, people look at me and go, oh, I thought you were a pastor. Well, yeah, but see, I'm not connected to God at times. And that if it, if it happens to me, it happens to any of us. So we have to be faithful and connected to God always because out of my relationship with God, the outflow pours into other people and it pours into my family. See, I begin to love my family the way God wants me to love my family. I love my wife the way God wants me to love my wife. But if I'm not connected, I won't do that. And so here's the thing. We have to rearrange our priorities. You have to rearrange your priorities. And what I'm saying is, is this. Our priorities are whack sometimes. They're out of whack a lot of times. Because I can tell you this. If I said, what's your priority? I can tell you this. It's your needs, your, your, your wants, and your desires. Right? So if we're going to be honest, the first thing that I'm looking out for is who? Me. My priority is me. If we're left to our own devices, our own stuff, it's me. But, and then the thing is, the other thing I think we get kind of messed up is we put work up there too. It's all about working. It's all about providing. It's all about, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying it's wrong if your work is over your family and your work is over your relationship with God. 
See, I think this is how it needs to go. The way we need to prioritize our life is this. God first. First and foremost. I'm telling you this. Anytime I have a problem and anytime, this is the first question I get asked by my friends. Anytime I'm, they're saying, hey, how are you doing? I'm saying, well, I'm okay. Then here's the first response they ask me. How's your relationship with Jesus? It's the first question they ask. Because my friends know, as well as I know, that if my relationship with Jesus is not right, then my life will not be right. So what happens is, is we've got to prioritize God first. And then here's the second thing. You know what the second thing needs to be? Your family. Your family needs to be number two in that list. And you know what's number three? Your job. Why? Because I've never met someone who's got to the end of their life and went, I wish I would have worked more than 40 hours a week. I wish I made more money. I'm here on my deathbed, but I wish I made more money. Nobody says that, do they? But somehow in the midst of what we're going and we're doing is we're, we're focused on this. And some of us, I, I get it. We have to work hard because we got to pay bills. Totally understand that. I totally get that. But what I'm saying is don't be so immersed in your work that you neglect your family and that you neglect the Lord. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying it's bad to work hard and, and, and do that. I'm saying when you're a workaholic and your family becomes second and God becomes third, there's a problem. So we need to reorganize and, and re kind of arrange our priorities because out of that, that's how we'll begin to show up in our families. And so we need to shift our priorities and, and such. And here's the thing. The other thing you need to do is this, is that when you think of family relationships, I want to tell you this. It's about stewardship and not control. Okay? So we have to show up in an imperfect but healthy family. You show up. But when you show up, again, it's okay to do that. Make sure your work's not off balance. But I want you to understand this, that you need to steward stuff, and it's not about control. And what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Don't try to control your kids. You will damage a relationship if you try to control them. Listen, you pray and you ask the Lord to do what he's going to do in their lives. Yes. Are there rules? Yes. If you're in my house, there are rules, right? There are rules in my house. But what I'm saying is, is I'm going to pray to the Lord and say, Lord, you have given me these children. And here's the thing. Do you know that God loves your children more than you love your children? Do you know that God has better plans for your children than you have for your children? And I'm telling you, here's why. Because if we start to like control and say, well, you need to do this and you need to do this. Now I'm saying there's like, there's a balance. There are discipline. We do discipline our kids. But what I am saying is this. I'm not going to control the choices they make. I'm going to allow God and the Holy Spirit to touch them, to live and to have and follow the plans that God has for their life. I'm not going to control their lives. I'm going to allow God to control their lives and pray for God to control their lives. See, because I think what happens is, just a, excuse me, sometimes we get so controlling with our kids and, and try to, well, you have to do this and you have to do this and this is what I want you to be. No, it's what, well, God, what do you want them to be? What do you want them to be? Because I think sometimes when we get so hard on our kids, sometimes we ruin the relationship. Sometimes, and I don't want you to ruin a relationship with your kids just trying to fit them where they need to go. You just say, you can direct them. We guide them. We're here for wisdom. But listen, it's ultimately up to the Lord and it's up to His hands. 
I mean, how many of us do I really pray say, God, what have your way in my child? I pray and I say, Lord, you love my kids more than I do. So would you just do something in their lives? And so that's what we, we need to begin to do is begin to not control and just allow the Lord to do that. And, and here's the, here's the thing. We don't steward. And it's also in our marriages. Guess what? In our marriages, here's what we need to do. We show up for our kids. We don't control our kids. We allow the Lord to, to plan their life and do what he needs to do. But I think in our marriages, we need to show up our marriages every day like we were dating. And we need to be engaged and not disengaged. I mean, the, the, the way marriages go awry, it's, it's a lot about, there's a lot of fights over money and sex. Bottom line. And a lot of times when people are not, not getting their needs met, what happens is the relationship goes away and people get disengaged. And that's when they start looking for other, other things. I'm telling you this. Don't be disengaged in your relationship. Is marriage hard? 100%. Is it going to take work? 100%. But God wants you to be engaged with your spouse, act like you're dating again, begin to do, and show up for your spouse, show up for your partner, show up for your friend. I don't care who it is, but you begin to do things that God wants you to do. He wants you to engage. Listen, God's goal for you is to have a healthy and whole marriage. The greatest thing that Satan wants is to split your marriage up, is to split your family up. Don't allow him to do that. Begin to show up each and every day and say, I'm committed to you. I'm going to be selfless. And this is what we're going to do. And when you go through a rocky time, who do you give it to? The Lord. Because he's the only one that can change your wife's heart or your husband's heart or whoever. And then finally this. We keep showing up again. See, we're going to show up every day. The commitment to faithfulness is this. You're going to show up in the little things. Because it happens. Faithfulness is found in little moments as big moments. And what do I mean by that? You show up for your family, don't you? You show up for games. You show up for concerts. You show up in the hospital. You show up when, when people need, need you. You show up when the toddler scrapes his knee and you're there to put a band-aid on it. You show up when your, your teenager has a heartbreak. You show up when there's grief or pain or hardship. You show up. See, we continue to show up and love our families the way God wants us to love our families. We care for our families the way God wants us to care for our families. It's in the small things and it's in the big things. And so what begins to happen is as we begin to develop this relationship, guess what? It takes time, doesn't it? Relationships take time. And this is not going to happen instantly over the moment. This is going to happen over just months and weeks and maybe even years of beginning to do things that we need to do right. Loving people the way we need to love God. I mean, love our family the way God loves us. So at times, here's the thing. Finally, this. At times, we can treat our family the worst, can't we? Because here's what we know. Our families will love us unconditionally. But it doesn't give us the right to treat them horrible. We need to be ones that what he says is to be intentional. To love, to care, and to show up for our families. Because that's our responsibility. Rearrange our priorities and allow God to work in and through our lives and in or through our family units. Thanks for listening. And if you would like more information on our church or you'd like to visit us in person, you can go to basinchurch.org. And as always, we hope this content helps you on your faith journey.